Hello, lovely people. How are you doing? I do hope you're doing okay. Now, I've got quite the person to bring to you this week, I must say. If you didn't know her name before today, then I'm pretty sure you know something she was at the heart of for many years. Susan Tanner was the event director of the Bristol International Balloon Fiesta for 16 years. I mean, what a job. It's the largest fiesta of its kind in Europe and Susan was at the heart of it all. She's about to tell us what this was really like. Then Susan decided to call it a day and moved on to her next chapter as, wait for it, a pig farmer. Now, if you think this was a well-organised event just like her fiesta work, well, I'll let Susan tell you how she discovered what her next chapter would be. But let's just say it's definitely a first on this podcast. Susan's story is all about trusting her instincts and letting life take her to places she could never have imagined. Susan has had not just one, but several exciting next chapters, all navigated by her bravery, a bit like those balloon flights. I keep thinking about her brilliant words at the end of this podcast, and if you're struggling to know how to move forward, then her wisdoms might be just what you need. Hello and welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to indie author, I speak to some incredible people who have already started their next chapter in the hope it might help you with your next chapter or at the very least, you may just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Susan Tanner. Susan Tanner, welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. I am so thrilled and honoured to see you. Oh, that's really kind. <laughs> you make me cry now. <laughs> well, it's been a long time, Susan, which we're going to go into because we did have a little bit of time where we worked very closely together. So that's why it's so lovely and so special for me to have you here. When I started this podcast, I thought of you. You were one of the first people I thought of. So the fact that I've got you here with me now is just brilliant. <laughs> and I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Let's go for it. So I always start as ever with the prologue. Now, you were born in Zambia. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how long were you over there for, Susan? I was only there until um, I was six. So six years. And um, my dad had gone out there. He was in in the um, World War Two. And he was one of the, like, um, he was a commando. So he did all the Normandy beaches and everything, the forerunner of the SAS sort of people. And when he came, was demobbed, there were no jobs. So there were some in... Um, in Zambia, northern Rhodesia, as it was. So he just got on a boat and went out there. And my mum was living out there, had been out there since she was a baby. Her father was, um, he worked on the copper belt and they all went out there when she was about two. Wow. And um, so she'd always lived in, in, in Zambia. So when she came back to this country, when we came back after independence, um, she found it very cold. <laughs> She hated it to start with. Yeah. So, and we came back to Bath. My father's brother um, lived and his mother was still alive. So we came back, came back there. But they always thought that they would go back abroad again. But we sort of, um, we never did. You never did. You stayed in the lovely West Country. So do you you have siblings, Susan? I have a younger brother. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you were six. Do you remember that time? Do you remember coming back here? I remember the day actually vividly, the day we came back. I remember bits of Africa and more the smells actually, because we were, I took my mum back um, after my dad died. But um, we, um, I remember coming off the plane at Heathrow and I was with my mum. My dad had to stay behind for six, seven months to pack up work and everything. So we were sent back and we had her mother with us who was blind 
and granny couldn't have been that old but probably in her 70s whatever and my brother was four okay wow and mummy's mum wouldn't take one of those little shuttle buses she refused so everybody the airport was empty it was four in the morning it was pitch black it was horrible and she couldn't find my uncle dad's brother so she left me in charge of a four-year-old and a blind <laughs> granny yes this <laughs> was like <laughs> I still responsibility very young I yeah think. at six that was, was a big like, job Susan <laughs> yeah so I do remember that very vividly that day and the first place we lived we had snow and I'd never seen snow we had snow in like because we must have arrived in about February March time and we had snow and that was um quite interesting God, never seen snow before yeah I bet it was what a what a start there and so so had you already started school in Zambia Yes, I had. Yes, I was at um, nursery school in Zambia. Okay. And then when we came here, I went to the the local junior school in Coombdown. I went to the high school. Yeah. Okay. So then you stayed in Bath then. You spent most of your childhood, the rest of your sort of childhood into your teens, you were then in Bath. And um, so at school, Susan, what kind of a pupil were you? <laughs> well behaved mostly, I think. But no, I, I like school mostly. Um I actually, shall I show you, if you've seen, this is a book. Okay, I'm seeing a book, yeah. I gave this to mum 10 years ago. Right. And it's about her memories of me. And it's actually one of the questions, and I found, I never knew she'd filled it in until after she died. Okay. And I found this book afterwards. And she actually said, I said, there's one of the questions is about me there when I was at school. Probably she should tell you what I was like at school. She, it was, what were you most proud about me when I was at school? And she said, because I'm very bad at saying what I'm what I'm like. I'm, I just hate it. And she wrote, your diligence, independence, your academic progress, your athletic progress. And I was always put in the lower class. The, the age levels were wrong at that school for athletics because I suffered with an August birthday. And the fact we came from Zambia halfway through the wrong term. Wow. I used to run around a lot. <laughs> that, well, that's amazing. And actually, because going on to when I when I met you, I can do you know what? I can imagine you being like that as a as a as a child, given all the, the years you spent running around sorting out the, the balloon fiesta. Thank you. And I should just say, Susan, obviously I know you have recently lost your mum. So again, I'm I'm really grateful that you're taking the time just to no, speak to me oh. at the moment. It's it's means such a lot. So so you st- you went to school in Bath and then you went to university in Kent. Yeah. Okay. And did you have any idea at this stage what you wanted to be? No, absolutely not. Actually, I I when I was very small, I wanted to be a fishmonger because I quite like the fish shop and I like fish. Um, I then wanted to be a Red Arrows Red Air, air pilot, <laughs> but okay. I didn't have the eyesight. A bit different. So I wanted to do- all sorts of different things yeah and I probably still don't know what I want to do I just (laughs) I just go along and something happens in my life and that's the path I take it's really odd at university I thought I would go to um Sotheby's as an auctioneer that's what I wanted to do at university I'm terrible what did you study at university did you say English architecture art history of art and um English wow and I loved my architecture and art and but what I did instead, I bought a house when I was 21 and still at university and did it up and um, or finished doing it up. 
and I got bitten by that. So I had a mortgage to pay. And so I went as a trainee manager to Sainsbury's. Okay. Because I used to work at Marks and Spencer's as a Saturday girl in the holidays. I had a very weird, a very weird career. You Well, you have to. I mean, I wouldn't say weird, but should we say varied? Because this is, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so was this, did you work then back in Bath or did you stay in Kent? No, I stayed in the southeast and I worked, I worked in all different places in the southeast. Um, and I did my training in Folkestone. And I, I'll give Sainsbury's their due. In those days, we had a brilliant management training and it did, teach me so much about business I loved it I loved food I loved the thing all of that I always remember I was held up at gunpoint at a Sainsbury's once oh my goodness and I was running the checkouts and this little old lady came in and said to me and we were the first yeah it was a massive checkouts and she said there's a man outside with a gun I was in outside Guildford then and I said um, don't be ridiculous yeah it's Guildford <laughs> I'm busy <laughs> go away <laughs> And she said, no, no, no. She kept tugging on my uniform. So I sort of went, okay, I'll come out. And we were about to have a cash delivery, an ATM delivery. And I went out past the ATMs and I went past this car. And yeah, he did have a gun on his lap, which he pointed at me. Oh and he was God. sitting outside. So I went round the other side and came in. And I always remember the branch around manager. I said, I'm just going to shut the shop. <laughs> and um, I said, I've got a problem out the front. And he said, Susan, was it a real gun or a fake gun? And I said, I'm not going back out to ask. Yeah. You can go and ask if you want. I'm not going to find out. <laughs> I'm shutting the shop. And then it was really funny because about a few minutes later, the police rocked up right behind and they threw them out of the car and everyone was on the floor. And they came in and I said, gosh, that was really quick response to the call. And they said, no, we just came to use your loo and park behind the car. <laughs> just happened to be in there. They popped in for their sandwiches as well. And so was it a real gun? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That must and, have been pretty um, frightening. Yeah. Weird, isn't it? Yeah. I just, you didn't have time. You had to just get on with stuff. I remember we just had to get stuff done you know well speaking of getting stuff done so let's go into your first chapter so this is where our paths cross but obviously you'd already been doing this for a long time so you were basically the main organizer of the very famous and very wonderful bristol balloon fiesta so susan how did you go from working in sainsbury's being held up by a gun to being to having this job well i came back to bath and i left Sainsbury's I was being promoted and there were very few women managers very few there was about one deputy branch manager ahead of me and I was on the course to be a branch manager as well and we were all going to be given different branches and they gave a job that I would 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 have been able to have done to this chap who really was well anyway and um, <laughs> we'll, let, we'll fill in the blanks yeah and so I went to human you know HR and said look I really really wanted that job that would have I would have been good and they said well you've done very well for a girl <gasps> Susan. <laughs> so I I resigned the next day quite good for <laughs> you quite right and they tried to get me back but I said no and I came back to Bath and I renovated uh my home then which was next door to my parents they had a uh a barn next door and so I came back and I renovated that wow. while I looked to see what I was going to do next yeah you know and um I was actually in Sainsbury's and the re an area manager came up and said you've got to come back you know <laughs> I went no 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 not coming back and I renovated the barn and I was going to go and work 
I was just looking for jobs of doing things with architecture and my renovations and what have you. And I met my first husband ballooning. Somebody said they were going down on a balloon flight. Why didn't I come along and see them off? And this chap asked me if I'd like to go on the retrieve. So I did. And we got married a few months later. Wow. <laughs> that was a um, flying high romance. Oh, it literally, literally was. And you had you never done any ballooning that, until that moment? No, nope, not at all. Wow. And um, he was starting a ballooning business. So I did that with him. We just went, I set it up with him. I learned to fly, learned to be a pilot. He got, I was taught by Brian Jones, who flew around the world. Mm. And... Um, we set up a balloon company in Bath. And that, in that long roundabout way, is how I got in the, involved in the balloon fiesta because somebody asked me, Don Cameron asked me on the committee to run the arena events at the, <sighs> at the fiesta. Goodness. And, and then that's how I got involved. So, so just going back, first of all, then. So what was that like to be a pilot? I mean, goodness me. I mean, obviously, you, you can cope well in sort of a risky situations. We discovered in this in the Sainsbury story. But because I've been up in the balloons when I've covered the fiesta, and it's, it's quite something. I mean, it's just you can't even describe it. Um, but how did you find it sort of learning to be a pilot? Did you just love it from the minute you did it? I, I did. I did love it. Um, I didn't I wasn't a commercial pilot. I was just a private pilot. I did love it. And it's just that amazing feeling that you let go of the quick release and then you're up in the air and floating. And it's not that quiet because, as you know, those burners go on and it's like blooming noisy and it's quite hot and everything. But it's just that floating in the air. And it's also the skill of making them that you're at one with the wind. So you don't have lots of control, but you do. But you have to think about it a lot, lot more. Mm. You actually, you have to have airmanship and you have to actually work with the elements as opposed to, you can't pull over in a balloon if it all starts going horribly wrong. No. You have to have that sort of element of being able to work with what you've got. I mean, no, it was fascinating. And I, I went on all the commercial flights with my first husband. He was... Um, I used to fly and map read and everything. And um, and the only time he once fell out of the balloon <gasps> on a passenger flight. What, was he really high up? No, no, no. We were we were landing. It, it was bad enough. We were landing and it was really hard landing in the summer. And you get into your landing position, as you know, and I was looking backwards. We're in a big balloon and we bounced. And the next thing I know, we went up quite high. I thought, mm. gosh, we went up quite high. That was And then I looked behind me and he was on the ground. Oh, no. And I remember thinking, oh, we'll get back in. <laughs> he's going <laughs> to jump <laughs> up. Yeah. And I went, oh, he's not moving. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, and it was that, it, it, in seconds, somebody had to, I had to land the balloon. So I remember we were, we were then flying again. And I thought we'd only gone a few feet when I, but we'd actually gone quite a way. And I had to jump up, you know, pull the, the red line, the rip cord, and I, and line up the balloon because it was a big one and we were heading to a main road some power lines and a caravan park on the left and i'm thinking <sighs> i'm going to pull this balloon so hard that we're going to go six feet under because i've got to stop it you know yeah, there's yeah. no way and i remember one of the passengers said i'll help and started pulling on one of the the turning vents <laughs> i remember oh, going no. no it's okay i'm a pilot yeah i'm all right <laughs> i was not a commercial pilot and i it was terrible, and it was actually quite terrifying because when I, I landed it, and we landed quite hard, but everybody was fine. We all got out, and everybody was safe. Pilots now 
have we then had harnesses after that everybody has harnesses now in the pilots sort of thing but up until then we didn't and how how was your first husband was he all right was, was he all right after that um well the balloon basket hit him we had to go to hospital he had a hematoma but he was fine after that he didn't break anything wow oh i don't know but it was um very very lucky but it made it made you think very much of course it did did it did it put you off a little bit that or did you then just carry on no you carried on but you actually we it was part i mean the the culture then was nobody did wear harnesses but everybody did not just because of us but i'm sure it happened to other people or other things happened and it became a requirement that we all wore harnesses but yes you did think of it a few times thinking you know um how many passengers did you have eight wow that's a lot for you to suddenly so, have to have to. Susan, you do find yourself in these situations. Yes, isn't it? I know. Isn't isn't it weird? I'm sorry. I should. It probably is. Yes, things happen. No, it's it's I've not had an ordinary life. Well, I'm afraid. listen, I don't. I, I love the as I always say. I love the extraordinary of the ordinary, and there's no, nothing ordinary <laughs> about my guest, Susan. So you're. This is no. perfect for this. So um. So going in, going into that then, so you when you started doing the arena event for the Bloom Fiesta, how established was the Bloom Fiesta by then? Um, that was ninety two, so it's been going seventy nine eighty nine. It's been going twenty years, something like that. It right. was tiny. Right. It was so tiny. Well, it had a lot of balloons, but we didn't have huge public because I remember the first year that I did the Fiesta, we used to have a night glow and it used to be on the downs. And that was just the press. It was just a press thing. Right. The night glow it was never part of the event. And then that year we made it part of the event. It was usually about a couple of weeks before the Fiesta. And we used to have a phone line in the office and we used to say whether it was on or off and the public used to ring in on the phone. <laughs> because of the glorious <laughs> weather as well <laughs> yes and say is the balloon fiesta you wouldn't do that now imagine all the people and so we were going to do it on the saturday and i remember we'd set up the arena but not much other facilities and i remember turning up saturday afternoon me and one security guard to clear the arena of the public because they were sitting having their picnic <laughs> you had to tell them to clear <laughs> off <laughs> so those were the days where we just used to rock up and do stuff wow and the days before risk assessments and yeah things like that and um yes we used to have it two weeks before and then i remember i said we should put it i remember i proposed that we put it on the thursday before the fiesta because we were putting in facilities and then we'd have to take them all down again and have the event two weeks later so it made more sense so i suggested we put the you know the, that's that was me putting it on the Thursday, mm. so that we had a a longer you know event, and then it just grew. I mean, it just start to grow mm. exponentially from from then on, really. And were you by this stage more like the official organizer? I did the arena events ninety two, ninety three. I was the chairman of the committee, and we had a lady in the office, and she was leaving to have a baby, and. We had some CVs in and we were looking at all the CVs and I said, and we had a balloon company in Bath at that point. And I said, oh, I can see I'm going to be over here a lot. And then I said, well, it was suggested that I just, I did it for a year, came and sort of ran it for a year. And that was 
83 something like that and I was there to 2009 so yeah I was only meant to have done it for a year so you carry yes you carried on for a bit longer I just sort of stuck her up and I think if I knew I probably wouldn't have gone anywhere near it <laughs> but this was going to be 13 years were you still renovating your houses at this stage um yes I'd done another one and then I stopped I was too busy doing yeah. fiesta <laughs> I'm not surprised because so I met you Susan I was thinking about this because I spent kind of the year with you, didn't I? From well, yeah. kind of from January, which was great. You and the lovely Nick, and um, he used yeah. to ah oh, and drive around yeah, yeah. on his buggy, and it was just um great. So that was the have I got this right? That was the thirtieth anniversary, I think it yeah, was. It was, was two thousand and eight, wasn't it? Yeah, two thousand and eight. So that so is that about the right? That would make it. I remember it was a special occasion. I just remember us wanting because also it was not long after that. Well, I know part of that that. I was um, expecting my first son. So, I like, yes, I was probably a little bit green around the gift by the time the fiesta, actually. That may explain some things. But, um, I mean, we had a great time. So I came, I came, and I did this as part of my, as, as my job as a journalist. So we followed you. I came literally when, you know, I'd come to Ashton Court and there was nothing there and it was just you and it would start and it was like January, February time. And then we'd come back and just see. And then by August, there's this, you know, it was the International Balloon Fiesta. It's like enormous. Um, mm. And it's like just so huge. And we watched it, how you did it. And, you know, when we first came, and I think we'd had a coffee and it was all sort of very laid back. And you could just see as as the months went on, there was less coffee and more like, come on, <laughs> interview on the go. Come on this. I remember sitting on a bale of hay and interviewing you quickly for a live event. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, and that was really how your year went, isn't it? That was so all those, I can see how you got caught up in, in it so many years because you, and you had it down to such a fine art as well, which I remember finding we all did. It was amazing. So, I mean, did you just learn how to do it as each, you obviously were very sort of organised and diligent, like what your mum said at school, but do you think it just, each year you just learnt a little bit more and then it just slowly grew and grew? Yes, I think the biggest thing is lists, lots of lists and, um, Yes, it just grew because if I look at the first one that I did, oh, if you if you look back in hindsight, I probably would have run away run away screaming. It was just you know the, the amount of stuff that you had to do. The thing is, once you start getting organised and then you start getting ideas and you think, well, let's do this and let's do that and let's have a concert. Let's bring in a great big you know massive yeah. stage. Why let's, not? Why not? You know, and then well, let's go and do a. Do you remember that launch that we did that press launch down the runway? I do. When we shut the airport, and I yeah. said, well, let's shut the airport. Let's do balloons out of Bristol Airport. I mean, how bonkers is that? That was just another all easy those, day. Yeah, all those stunts that we used to do. And it used, yes, lots of lists, lots and lots of lists. And also recruiting the right sort of team to work with you. But by then, I had a right-hand person, and it was having a team with you that could, generating the income so you could afford a team to help you. But it's baby steps, isn't it? Yeah. And then having just really good people around you, you know, it wasn't just me. I mean, I had a I had an exceptional team and it's getting the right people. Mm. Mm. So I didn't care what people's backgrounds are. And I still if I work with people now, it's it's the ability to do and the ability to get over problems, think ahead. Some of the things that we had to do when we had hearsay wanted were coming to the stage and their manager rang me and said, oh, well, we're stuck in London. We're not we won't be able to come. I went bonkers. Mm. I said, what do you mean you're not coming? Mm. I said, I've got 
six-year-old children here who've been here since this morning waiting for you. You know, they were, there was all these littlies who were all, you know, waiting right at the front of the stage. And here was the manager going, oh, we're, we're far too important to come to you. So, well, the traffic's really bad. I said, well, where are you? And they're on the M4. I said, I'll get a helicopter to you. <gasps> Did you really? <laughs> and said, yeah. And he said, um, well, okay. I think he was a bit taken aback. I can't remember. I mean, I can understand if you said, I'm going to get a balloon to you and <laughs> to get a helicopter. That's amazing. So I said, well, we'll get you past the traffic. And, and so Polo Aviation, who did the helicopters, said, um, if we find a site up there. So we found a helicopter site just off the motorway. And I said, right, you keep driving and we'll work out the times of when we have to get a helicopter to you so we can get you here. But if the road clears, you can still keep driving, all this sort of stuff. So we was on the phone and on the radio sorting out. Then we had to get two helicopters because there were not enough seats for the manager to come as well as I can't remember how many were in here, say five or whatever. And then he I think he knew I was determined to get them there. Because he <laughs> guessed by now. And then they got all the way. They managed to get to Gordano services without the helicopter. So he stood down the helicopter and then the police went and got them and got an escort in because we were really late. Oh, my goodness. But they got them in. Yeah. So um, And they played. Like, and all the, all the kiddies were happy. And all the children were happy. Oh. But I, I just had the view. You know, they were all there in the morning. And how can you say they're not coming? No, you can't. You can't. But that, so, like you say, that is a real, that's a real positive kind of can-do attitude, isn't it? Have you always had that, Susan? Pro- probably. I think, I think my parents always sort of said um, there wasn't anything that you couldn't do I don't think they I'm a lot older than you Ellie <laughs> you're not that much older than me Susan oh, I think I am. Really. but when I was at school at university there weren't women in in lots of these sort of different positions no. in in men's positions if you like so like say at Sainsbury's it's mo- that was mostly male orientated and even in the fiesta there are very few event women event directors mm, and balloonists shows. yeah and balloonists so I suppose I always had the thing that nobody ever said, I was always taught to try and nobody ever said, you can't do that because you're a girl. I had a dad who was very keen on just, you know, give everything a, give everything a go. And yeah. I suppose I just used to, um, probably if someone said I couldn't do it, that probably made me more determined to like go, what do you mean I can't do it? Yeah, quite right. Or girls, girls don't do that. I don't yeah. think I was ever told that, but. Yeah. Except at Sainsbury's. No, exactly. Well, for a girl. No, and uh, when hearsay are saying that they're not going to come, but no, exactly. And did did you have the thing that because the balloon fiesta just got bigger and bigger, and obviously I imagine when you joined, you had no idea by the time you left, sort of how big this event was going to be. I mean, for many people, event organising is seen as very much a, a, a dream and an Id- idyllic job. Did you have a pressure each year to make it that bit better? Did you always think, like you said about with the airport and the balloons it was like what can we do this year to make it even better than last year i think you've got that formula of the balloons flying and you you can't take away from that but you do always have that element if the weather is lousy you've got to have a bit more substance of something else so it was very hard it was always trying to improve either experience for the public and it's hard because that site is a really hard site to work out of Mm, it is not enough entrances and exits at no, all no. and you can't go knocking holes in the wall so you had to be very creative and yes every year I used to think well what else can we do how can we make it more interesting or more balloons or a, we did a world record breaker one year I remember with the number of balloons 
yes it's just being creative i love that side of it being creative and like working with yourself and working with the press and we never used to i think just do press releases i was really keen that we did stories Mm. as opposed to adverts yeah (laughs) no we did we did which was the kind of the piece that we did you know it it was i can't remember how many we did it over a few nights but as i say following you for all those months to actually see how it came together and and i remember you being very honest at times and if something was not right we talked about it you know it wasn't just a big old puff as we call it but when Mm. you know do you know like that when it actually used to get to the actual weekend and like you say i mean god talk about weather dependent so weather dependent so so when it actually is when you spent sort of all the months building up to it or well, sort of your whole year building up to it you know what was that like you know to, to a it be com- completely out of your control because of the weather but also it's just like this is it this is happening now did it sort of used to float around you then or did you could you take a, d- a deep breath and think this is what we've done look this is what we've created you were so tuned into the weather for weeks beforehand, you know, even the week, you were so tuned into it. I was obsessed with the weather charts and everything. And yes, I, I used to watch the videos and the press stuff afterwards just to see what happened because <laughs> a lot of it, yeah. you planned it and you hoped it did happen, but you were obviously busy doing something else or whatever. It was, yeah, the weather was always difficult sometimes. Do you remember there was a year when it was actually, it was so bad that it was, it was cancelled? We cancelled... Um, was it on the Saturday? Yes, we cancelled a night glow on mm. the Saturday one night, and that was awful. And we've cancelled flights before. The one thing I used to say though is that we never ever cancel a flight, a morning flight, the night before. I was adamant about that because it could change dramatically overnight. You think it wasn't, and then suddenly the morning, you there was a teeny tinsy wincy slot that you could get. But yes, we cancelled the night glow once. It's awful. All those people come, and you try, and there's nothing you can do about the weather, yeah. and you have to be. I mean, we had brilliant weather forecasters like all 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 the the tv guys you know all you guys helped and we had the met office and everything and flight control everybody looking at it but there's nothing you can do and it's hard for the public sometimes when you could inflate on the ground but you couldn't actually fly those are the worst ones in fact the ones that are easiest are the ones that are definitely a no and the Mm. public can see it because they go oh no you wouldn't go in that Mm. the horrible ones were the ones where it looked flyable mm. to a, a novice and you knew that the minute they took off out of the bowl, which was very sheltered, they would be in real serious problems. They'd be off. <laughs> They'd be off or there would be, you know, and we had such a responsibility not to, um, yes, distribute yeah. balloons all over Bristol having problems oh, you know, or going towards the airport or this, that and the other. Although the airport were brilliant because we could fly through. But, um, yeah, the weather was always top of your list. Mm, mm. It was one year that I hated. I think it was after 2008, and we didn't even get some of the porter cabins off-site for a month afterwards. It was so wet afterwards. Mm. And it that's when it's soul-destroying, when you're standing there. I can remember standing there on my birthday in the pouring rain when I should have been at a nice spa, and I was there in the pouring rain with a crane trying to get a cabin off and it just wasn't happening and water was just running down the road and it was just like this is rubbish yeah i should be at that spa (laughs) did you get to the spa not that day no (laughs) that was all cancelled the last one i did was was amazing because we flew all the slots and that's when you have to go right i'm done now (laughs) And is that what, so actually that very neatly takes us 
in um it must have helped as well you being a a pilot because you then had so much understanding of what the conditions were that that were needed and just going because of the time that i you know a few times i've been up in the balloon for anyone who hasn't been up in the balloon i mean it is quite i mean i've never had an experience like it because it's like you're um it's like you're to me it's like you're going back in time where it's like you're just literally in a basket uh there's no technology and it's just nature, like you say, you're lying on the wind. So, I mean, and you just think, oh, my God, you know, I'm however many hundred of feet up and I'm in a, I'm standing in a basket and it's 5 a.m. You know, what, what am I doing? Like, what? I love my job, but seriously, what am I doing? <laughs> but it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So that's that, how incredible that you could experience it as a pilot, but also as an organiser. So then did you, so did you get to the stage that year that you thought, do you know what, this has to be my last one? Thanks. And do you know what? I never flew out with the Fiesta. Did you not? Never. Was that because you were too busy organising it or you just didn't want to? Everybody, I was always offered and I had people back at the team. But you know what? I said it would be my luck. I would be in a balloon. I would land and I'd be out there for about three hours. Yeah. We'd be locked or something. Yeah, you'd get up <laughs> in just, Swindon. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just couldn't <laughs> risk it. I just thought, no, something would happen. Yeah. So I never, ever flew out of the Fiesta. And, um, so that, you know, that's one of those things, isn't it? Um, the la- Yes, I think. We'd had quite a tough year the last year. It had been wet in the build-up. It was very wet in the build-up. But we had an amazing event and every slot was flown. We flew everything. and We had two night glows. Everything flew. We clogged up all the traffic. Sorry about that. Cars parked everywhere. (laughs) M5 brought to a standstill. And I just looked at the balloons all flying and I thought, yeah. And it's... And when when do you call it a day? Yeah. And you have to... And and the thing is, is that if you don't there's a certain you have to leave it almost at a at a juncture and go on because otherwise it would then be january february you know and you're halfway through an event and that wouldn't be fair and all of that sort of thing so you have to sort of mentally yeah had you had suspicions you would feel like that or did you had you been kind of thinking i think this is going to be my last one or was it really that moment of the weekend and you're just like nope i'm done yeah it was the weekend really yeah amazing did it surprise Um, all the people around you I didn't tell anybody then um I my husband said go on holiday you're tired (laughs) you know you you need to just think about it and um so I did but then I came back and I I just said no I'm Mm. I I am done and it was it was the best point to go then at, at the end of one fiesta straight afterwards as opposed to Mm. keep it going keep it going I mean what a decision now is this true Susan I mean learning what I'm learning about you I think it actually might be but I read that you said so you going into your next chapter which you are now a a pig farmer (laughs) which (laughs) I mean lovely listeners I'll let you work this one out uh but look so because we've gone from Sainsbury's to balloons to pigs so is this true though you are being interviewed on national television um and you blurted this out and you hadn't really thought about it and you're like okay yeah I'm going to be a pig farmer it was it was on Will Glennon it's not gonna be are you can say BBC Susan oh now we're gonna gonna have to just cut he is the BBC everyone this is a slightly embarrassing moment between Susan and I (laughs) not at all I'm really sorry not at all he did he said to me what are you going to do next and I said I'm going to breed rare breed pigs and it literally plopped out of my mouth and I tell you I 
I'd only ever met one pig before. <laughs> and I certainly <laughs> never, I've never had any. Wow. And I went, oh, okay. And then afterwards I thought, I've just said that. I'm going to have to go and do it. Yeah, you are. So um, I did go and look. I researched it, went and looked at a, a, I went to Ross and Wyatt, a rare breed sale. And I was going to get Gloucester Old Spots because that's sort of more local. And I fell in love with the Oxford Sandy and Black Pig. And I just went, that's the pig for me. Yeah. <laughs> and did you... I mean, I mean, I, I am actually a little bit speechless about this because <laughs> given that I've interviewed several people now about next chapters and how often people are thinking about it and it's years in the making to suddenly just blurt something out like that. Because you were li- you were living on were you living on your farm in the Mendips by this stage? Yes, I, 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 I was married to my second husband, Andrew, um, still friends with my first one, but I was married. I got married again. We've been married about 10 years and we, we've got we've got land here and everything and and some stables and things like that and um i had two donkeys that's all i had i had two donkeys as you do as you do yes i got those because i love donkeys they're really they're just the ladies who lunch my girls they don't do anything they They just great (laughs) my kind of women yeah and um yes but nothing that was set up for pigs or anything Wow. So he just, I'm afraid he probably just rolled his eyes and just went, you've got to be able to eat them, he said. <gasps> yes. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, I went to this sale with him. I didn't buy anything, but I made lots of notes and there were two breeders there and I went and saw them, started researching this particular breed, researched everything about setting up a or setting up breeding pigs. I don't know. I look back on it. How do I do these things, in fact, actually? I don't know, Susan, if I'm honest. But again, isn't that all part of your... It's clearly your attitude and approach to everything. So, you know, going back to when you were six in that airport and you were left with your little brother and, and, you know, your granny, that, you know, you just have to do it. You have, you know, and clearly you do. And if you're given a challenge and that took you into the Sainsbury's and being, you know, the gun and then um, with the Bloom Fiesta, all those years of of all those hurdles you, you had to come over on like a daily, probably hourly basis. So something like this. But I, I'm guessing that it appealed to you because of where you lived as well. This was something that was totally yeah. different. So I can imagine once you, um, and sorry for being presumptuous here, but once it got into your mind, this is what I'm going to do, you were like, yeah, okay, right. Well, I've said it to Will Glennon and the BBC. Um, this is this is what I'm, I'm going to have to do it now. So you you made it happen. Something like that, yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it, just, it, was, one of the, it was just one of the, I love animals. I've always loved animals. I've always been obsessed with animals. Mm. Um, but... I'd not, but that was like cats and dogs or ponies or something. But it wasn't sort of like pigs. No, donkeys. <laughs> pigs are very, very different. They're not things that you put on halters. You've got to think like a pig. You learn so much. But it's been amazing, and I've loved it. I mean, there's been lots of heartache on the way as well. It's sometimes you do grit your teeth. But I went and looked at all of this stuff. Then I rang up these two breeders, and they had some pigs and i said right i'm going to breed and it's what i tell people never to do i say to everybody don't do it well i never tell most people (laughs) just go just get two wieners and see how you get on and i went and bought bella my first sow 
well, she was a guilt then. A guilt is a female pig who hasn't had piglets. Okay. And Bella was obsessed with food, stumpy little thing she was. She was really lovely. And then I bought two wieners and another little gilt, and they were all eight weeks old. And the other gilt was for breeding. And I called her Lulu. And um, Bella came to me, and I remember Andrew drove the trailer. We picked up all these pigs, and we came back, got them into the field, and I'd set it all up. The electric fence with him, all the arcs I had built, and all the fencing done. We drove them into the field, and I couldn't get her out of the trailer. (laughs) Well, now what do I do? Anyway, we got her out, then we got the three wieners out and put them in all their pens and everything. And that started my my little journey. And then she we put her in pig. So you have to take I had to take her to a boar, took her to somebody near Taunton, and she rang me up and she said, um, Were you going to show Bella at all? And I'm thinking, showing, good God, I haven't you know, <laughs> I don't know about showing. She said, Well, there's been an accident. I went right her boar hadn't had his tusks removed and i'll show you how big a tusk is oh, oh the lovely this is it's big you were not talking a tooth that's big like a like a size of a hand five inches yeah yeah five inches there look so that's wow that's the sort of size of tusks they have i take my boar's tusks off right and that was alfie's tusk and it's really hard to sedate a pig because they take a lot of um anesthetic and they couldn't stitch it up and so she sent her back to me pregnant with like her ear in three bits. Oh, bless her. <laughs> and, I, and she was really upset. And I was just like, well, not a lot you can do. I just kept spraying antibiotic spray on it. Yeah. She always had three bits to her ear, Bella. Oh, bless her. So, um, yeah, Bella was, Bella was special. She had her first litter in the June. And I had no idea how that was going to go. I sat in there with her. Well, first of all, I went up to the field and realised that she had some milk. And I had the date roughly of when she was due. And I thought, oh, my God, she could be having them in in six to 12 hours before. But every sow's different. So I made Andrew bring this pig down into the stable where we'd set it all up for farrowing. And he's going, have I got time to go to B&Q? And I'm going, no, no, we have to get this pig in. That was the Sunday. She farrowed on the Wednesday. So I spent every night up with her. I'm much better at it now. I got used to it. Anyway, Bella and I sat in that pen and I had the book on how your pig farrows with, with the stages. Goodness me. A basket full of towels. And a list. Bella. A, a few lists. <laughs> and, a list. and when pigs give birth, they don't come out with a, a sack beforehand like lambs. You see a sack come out before and like with cows. A, a sow will get on its side and it'll th- but not always bella's had some standing up will thrash their tail either side right. and out yeah. pops a pick look oh my goodness me and wow they, i wish it was so easy for, oh well so simple for humans <laughs> exactly yeah straight out yeah wave the and tail so she had hers and i learned farrowing with the lovely bella oh. but yeah there are sad times and i was very attached to bella as she was my first one and yeah. bella Bella wasn't, Bella was six um, and she had had a litter and she was a bit grumpy, but she always was grumpy, Bella. <laughs> she bit everybody sometimes, she never bit me. Um, yeah, how, many, how many pigs do you have now? I have nine breeding sows, um, one retired sow and two boars. 
Wow. Okay. And 19 baby piglets at the moment. Wow. <laughs> Bless them. And so presumably this is like a seven day a week job. You know, you're, you're living it, you're breathing it. This is, this is, it, it must take up so much of your time. Well, I also have another job. Oh, really? Hang on, Susan. You're going to just, just slip this one in as well now that I wasn't aware of. I, I can't even imagine or guess what this is going to be. <laughs> well, it doesn't take up all your time. And when I started with the pigs, there's only so much intellectual conversation you can have with the girls. <laughs> so they they do talk a lot and they've got lots of different, you know, sounds and everything. But there's only so much. So actually, I am the CEO of the National Outdoor Events Association. Wow. Okay. So you are still involved in your events. Absolutely. And that was all by chance as well. That was really weird. A friend of mine sent said, oh, the Fiesta, we used to belong to the association. And um, the person was retiring who was doing it. And they said, oh, you'd be really good at that. And I said, don't be ridiculous. You know, I'm not, you know, I've got things to do. And anyway, I went. I went for the interview. Well, I rang up the person, you know, was, they were recruiting. They said, no, 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 we'd like to see your CV. So I sort of sent it in. I was asked for an interview, drove home. I was offered the job. And I said, I think about it. <laughs> wow. I really was not, I just didn't know. And I thought about it and I decided I'd do it for six months <laughs> just to see because I thought we'll just see. And I wasn't sure. And that was 11 years ago. Well, do you know what? I'm not surprised. That's like you doing the balloon fiesta. I just do it. I just do it for the year. And it's been, and to be fair, it's been amazing. It's, I mean, it was, it was never meant to be a full-time job. It was only part-time. I worked from home and so I could do both and combine both. Mm. And I love events. I love events. It was my passion. Outdoor events are, I love it. I'm an event junkie. I love all that putting together of events because I also now um I also fell into stewarding the pig show at Mid Somerset <laughs> so I sit on the exec committee for the Mid Somerset <laughs> show now well, the things you fall into isn't it I oh should my stop goodness doing this, but no and it was brilliant. like well I did the pig tent because I did show my pigs once Ellie and it was hysterical because I had no idea and all the people who go and show have been doing it since they were like three. They know what they do. I couldn't even get into the pen to put them in because it's all sort of got pins and oh, I don't know. And my my two girls, I hadn't really trained them very well. And one tried to chew the judge's um, shoes. One sat down and just started chatting to the public. The guy who does our yearbook, which we had printed, he also was at Mid Somerset did their yearbooks and what have you and he said oh they're not having pigs anymore because the stewards left I went, oh no you've got to have pigs <gasps> there you go here's so, your cue yeah so I volunteered I'd, I hadn't a clue had I how to run a pig tent and a pig competition I did I, a lot of lists <laughs> I bet you did a lot of lists and I, I bet you did and I bet you soon learned those Susan this is clearly what you do god this is amazing so then I took on the cattle and the sheep and we all do lots of lists now. I bet there's a lot of <laughs> list making. Doing... I would imagine that you would be an amazing person to invite to a wedding, Susan, with all your events. I was just thinking that. I bet you're so good when anyone's panicking at a wedding. You must have missed going <laughs> going to weddings. That said, I might be a bit nervous if you'd come to my wedding because I'd be thinking, oh no, Susan be looking, God, look, they've made a right wreck there. They have. And does your <laughs> does your husband think now, oh my God, just don't mention anything to her because if, if someone says oh I've got something you might like Susan there you are 13 years later you're doing it 
<laughs> something like that probably uh-huh. he's just he i've just roped him into doing more stuff he just builds pig arcs for me as well it's brilliant <laughs> to move on then i'm also conscious of your time because you've got a lot going on there susan you do your acknowledgements so you have had such an amazing and you still are having what i mean what a variety and what incredible jobs <laughs> who would you say uh who's helped you the most along the way who would you like to thank do I just get one or several? You can have as many as you want. <laughs> I would imagine there's quite a few. There's a few. I remember my first branch manager at Sainsbury's. Gosh, he's probably not alive now. Um, Eric Kendrew. And he was brilliant at giving me confidence because I've never been a confident person. My mum will have told you that. She will say that believe in yourself because I'm really rubbish at it. I, I really am bad mm. at that. And he said to me, you you know, you really can do this and you've got to be better than everybody else. Your standard has to be up here. And that's how I've always done it mm. with the balloon fiesta. Our standards weren't here. Our standards were always up here. And if you can, you might not always get there, but set your standards high and then try and get there. Um like don't settle for second best and everything and he was really good like that although he did do on a branch visit he he was i was so proud he said i could be his gopher oh what an honor i I know i I was absolutely made up i bet you i'm sure he didn't ask any of the other nice young chaps to do it either but that is still um (laughs) He, he he was fab brian jones balloon pilot fantastic taught me to fly he pissed off my husband sorry am i allowed to say that you can say what you want because I could do straight and level and he didn't like it. Straight and level flight is quite a, a, a thing. Love Brian Jones. He was an absolute star. He was brilliant. And well, obviously, that, how you, your, well, your upbringing, you know, the, the way that your parents brought you up has clearly sort of to this day, you know, this, this positive, the way that you would tackle everything. That seems like that's been a, a, such an important thread to you throughout it all. I think so. I mean, it's not always, I mean, I, I talk about the pigs, but it's not always fluffy little piglets. Be with sows that farrow and it's difficult. Put your, I remember when the first vet said to me, no, you have to put your hand inside. I'm going, what, me? <gasps> I don't what, I have to put my hand in there. Do you enjoy it though? I mean, all these, putting it all together though, you did say earlier, you do love it. I do. I'm very, very lucky. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed because I've been able to do things. I've got a husband who just probably rolls his eyes and just goes, okay, <laughs> well, what's she going to do next? I'm sure anyone listening to this be slightly surprised like what you said earlier about in terms of with having the confidence because, you know, when I been and interviewing you as I did, I would never have believed that about you at all. So it's quite... Really? Really, honestly, really. Um, so I, I think that's anyone listening, I think that must help to think, oh, you know, well, you know, she's clearly very confident. But if you generally don't feel that you are and you've done it anyway. So this takes me on to our, our final part of it. So it's your sort of advice to somebody who's listening, to somebody who's listening to you. But if something's holding them back and they're thinking, do you know, first of all, I just don't know what I want to do. I want to do something else, um, but I don't know what I want to do. What would you say to that person? Be passionate about what you do. <clears throat> Make what you're passionate about your your living, if you like. Then you never work again. You actually are passionate about every day. I love my pigs, and they're and I love my job as well with the outdoor event industry. But if you if you're not passionate about it, things just will be hard, won't they? 
but if you love what you do and, and, and make something out of what you love doing and you can create something and be creative. Also, jump ship sometimes. I've jumped a couple of times with nothing to go to. Hmm. But funnily enough, there was something hmm. fermenting away or something that I didn't realise. And I suppose it's not being brave. It's just sometimes you just have to go with your gut instinct. Just, just sometimes do stuff, volunteer, hmm. and you never know who you meet what experiences you get but no I'm terribly unconfident that's amazing Very. do things and then I just sort of think well put yourself out of your comfort zone sometimes I've done it lots but I'm very unconfident I hate going into restaurants I went I went to um run the red carpet for Lord of the Lord of the Rings a film premiere wow. like a friend of mine was working out there on on the film for Weta Productions and was running the red carpet and he said come and run the red carpet part of it with me and I did not want to go on a plane by myself halfway around the world I didn't want to go into restaurants I didn't but I went and it was the most amazing experience but I think sometimes you just have to go for it I suppose it's like that whole opening yourself up to things isn't it that like you say and when you do if you jump ship or if you're just honest enough to say this isn't working and just to finish off then so to somebody who knows what they do want to do but they keep hesitating and they keep sort of perhaps coming up with excuses you'd say the same thing there would you just go for it I think I'd probably say is that really what you want to do because if you love it if you think you're going to love it Yes, just do it. But if you're really hesitating, perhaps your gut is saying, don't. Yes, I don't know. Yeah. I'm terribly on, I'm terrible on gut instinct is sometimes if you really listen, it'll tell you or look for the signs. That sounds weird. It doesn't but sound weird at all. Thing, things will, will form. You have to be open to stuff coming to you. And but gut instinct is a, is, is, a, is a great thing. But I would say if you're really dithering, if you really, really are dithering, either you've just got to say, right, do it, or perhaps it's not right for you. I mean, lots of people would hate to do it. My husband would have hated to have jumped ship. Mm. Just, just, no, just wouldn't. And I know people who, oh, and always make sure you've got a little bit of money in the bank. That's quite important. Mm. Have a little nest egg. And then if you're not sure... Have some money that you could do something for two months, three months, and then you never know what might happen after that. Yeah, that is fabulous but, advice. But it's tough. It's not something that everybody would want to do, and that's not wrong either. It's just, I think if people want to change, you should. But I suppose one thing I will say is that I probably <clears throat> I might change, but I probably have a, a list <laughs> somewhere. I was going to say, surely that's your Branded. other bit of advice. Make sure you write a list. Yes, always have a list. Don't trust anybody who doesn't write things down on a list. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I love my lists. I love my lists. Oh, I really do. I lists, really do. Lists are essential. And I think it shows that you can be adaptable and everything as well, but it shows a sort of focus. Susan Tanner, I loved my time I spent with you before. I've loved my time I've spent with you this afternoon. Thank you so much for being such a brilliant guest on the next chapter. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, that conversation took me to places I didn't know we were going to. Guns, hearsay, red carpets. I mean, who knew what was coming next? Not me. But my goodness, what an incredible life Susan is living. I think she is amazing and I love her honesty about not always feeling confident despite what others may think. 
I also keep thinking about what she says about focusing and writing lists. Write it down, then do it, one step at a time. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But, you know, Susan thinks you can do it, and so do I. Now, this is the last conversation of Series 2. I know, can you believe it already? Thank you so much to all my amazing guests. They have been amazing, haven't they? And thank you to you especially. I feel so honoured you've been spending your time listening to these conversations. But fear not, lovely people. Series 3 is coming and I already have some more incredible guests lined up. In the meantime, I'd love you to keep in touch with me at elliebarkerwrites.com. Let me know what you're doing and what you're thinking. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Now, you're listening to the next chapter by Ellie Barker of Flower Pot Production. Keep thinking, keep planning. Speak soon.